0: Fifteen. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a virtue. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From Inside the Masson Newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano joined, as always, via Zoom by Brendan Mortensen. Thank you so much for tuning in. We got a lot to discuss here, Brendan. I don't know if you know, but the Dodgers won the World Series last night. And I actually, oh, I didn't hear. Yeah, no, I, I, it's funny because I actually went to bed like a minute after the... I was streaming it on my phone. I watched the final out. And uh, I watched the dog pile and I thought, well, all right, that's it. I don't need to stay up for any other news that might break over the coming hour. Little did I know, there would be massive news. Justin Turner, who had tested positive for COVID and had been pulled from the game in the, the eighth inning, the top of the eighth inning, would rejoin the team on the field after the game to celebrate the championship despite the fact that he had just tested positive for COVID.
1: Corey Seager won World Series MVP, and it was like and the nobody f- noticed. most important thing. Nobody cared. <laughs> yeah. Nobody noticed. It like That is the worst year you could possibly win World Series MVP, because nobody knows.
0: Yeah, well, I, I was watching, I was trying to catch up this morning, and I was watching... Jeff Passan break it down on ESPN last night, and they asked if there was any concern. He goes, well, I think there's some concern. (laughs) I think that kind of captures the tone of baseball at this point because that was, uh, wow. I mean, they had gone, I think, like 50-some days without a positive test, and then they get a positive test during the final game of the 2020 season, and I I know... I, I think, I mean, I don't understand from his perspective, but I get the idea that Justin Turner worked his entire career. He's a veteran to be there. He's been in multiple world series to get to this moment. And he is literally two innings away from getting to celebrate. And he has to be pulled from the game. I get the desire to come back out and the urge to come back out and celebrate with the team. But man, is that a bad look because he was literally on video hugging all of his teammates and holding the trophy and taking team pictures, some of them without a mask, just after he had tested positive for this deadly virus.
1: And of course, too, we know his manager is Dave Roberts, who is more than likely a high risk individual given his health history. So yeah, really not a good look for Justin Turner, but it is about the most 2020 way that a baseball season could end with how ridiculous this season was and you know you there had to be something ridiculous to end a pretty smooth postseason yes up to this point yeah so you know obviously you feel bad for Justin Turner you hope that there was nothing there at all you hope that the test wasn't positive of course but given that it was it is a really bad look that he comes back onto the field and I think he is going to take a lot of heat for that as he probably rightfully should
0: yeah and I just wonder what would have happened if the Rays had come back and won that game in the eighth or ninth inning and they were looking at a game seven tonight where Justin Turner had just played seven innings with his teammates and against the Rays after testing positive or while he was technically positive for COVID I I don't know how they would approach that I mean would they push back game seven these are well, all talk about
1: high drama if you're like, Game 7, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's going to be in two weeks. Get yeah. ready. Get hyped. Just two weeks of hyping up Game 7. But yeah. it's, I don't would know like what the Super Bowl. they have done. Yeah, Major League Baseball, truthfully, got really lucky that the Dodgers closed out this series yeah. in six games. Because Game 7 would have been a debacle it would if have they had to figure that
0: out. In absolutely insane. Um, and they, they honestly avoided that, but still... They're not out of the woods in terms of the rest of the news that's going to come out, and they are just crossing their fingers and hoping nobody else tests positive, and I don't even know what they're going to do in terms of, I mean, they're not, obviously not going to have a parade, but I don't know what they're going to do in terms of getting the team back healthy and safe and just keeping an eye on them And, and because they don't have to test, take any more tests because they're not coming to the ballpark every day, but they should keep an eye on them and make sure that they are still healthy just after finding out that he tested positive. Absolute nightmare.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. Yes, they don't need to take any tests because there's no more baseball games coming up soon, but also the the mindset should absolutely not be hey, the season's over, whatever about COVID. You know, that that can't be the mentality. Yes, I know there are no baseball games that they need to prepare for, but still, we're talking about COVID 19 here. This is not a Whatever they don't need to play anymore. This is still a very serious virus that everybody needs to be taking seriously. And it was, again, like I've said, just really not a good look from anybody involved to basically say, well, the season's over. So this doesn't really matter as much because players aren't going to miss games if they test positive. Exactly. No, positive cases are still not good. That's my hot take. Positive cases,
0: not good. That's incredibly cold that take. I wish that they had had some kind of just giant hamster ball to roll Justin Turner out onto the field so that he could still be in the pictures and they can Photoshop the hamster ball out of the pictures later. But it's like bubble soccer.
1: They should have all played bubble soccer. Absolutely. Um, those were I think best. that's the solution, really. Yeah.
0: That is that. That is the future of sports, actually, is bubble Just soccer. Bubble everything. Yeah. Um, you bef- can make it full contact. Be <laughs> Before we get into uh, the Orioles talk, because we're going to talk a little bit about some teams that the Orioles should emulate or seek to emulate around baseball. Some you know, good examples of rebuilds that have gone well and some bad examples of rebuilds that have gone poorly. So uh, kind of where the Orioles should go from here, what kind of teams they should emulate and which teams they should really ignore completely and and learn from in a lot of ways. But before we get to that, I do want to mention the fact that there is early voting going on right now at the ballpark that forever changed baseball. Oriole Park at Camden Yards at Dempsey's. I was there yesterday. I already voted ahead of time via mail, so I wasn't there to vote, uh, but I did get to see a lot of people there voting. I know people that have gone there to vote, and it is awesome. It's a, it's a great place to be able to vote. I I mean, instead of getting to go to, like, your local middle school or something like that, you get to hang out in the warehouse, um, come on down. It's from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. So today, what is today? Wednesday. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So six days left for you to be able to get your early voting in at Oreo Park at Camden Yards. Um, Just, we are better off the more people that vote. That is just... The the best thing you can say about democracy is is that the more people that get to the polls and cast their ballots, the better we all are. So, uh, yeah, have have you voted yet, Brendan?
1: I have not voted yet. I'm actually planning on voting it today. I'm going early Good. voting with my mother this afternoon. But awesome job by the Orioles taking initiative there. It's a fun way to get involved. It's a fun way to kind of get back into you know with the Orioles a little bit because of how weird this season was. weren't able to go to Camden Yards a lot, and now you have the opportunity yeah. and you get to vote along with it. So I, I think it's awesome that the Orioles are are setting that up. And of course, go vote. It's important. Exactly.
0: exactly. All right. It's part of their Voter Up campaign, and it is great. Idea by the Orioles to get people involved as well. All right, let's talk about some baseball stuff. First and foremost, the massive news. Actually, this this probably, I think, was bigger news than uh, any of the World Series games, and that would be Stevie Wilkerson returning to the Baltimore Orioles on a minor league deal. Brendan, your reaction? Well, look,
1: I was a Cedric Mullins stand account this season. The year before, you know, I was a full Stevie Wilkerson stand account. And it's nice to keep that streak going of just, the, might I argue, the best players on the Orioles uh, being my stand accounts in Stevie Wilkerson and Cedric Mullins. Might I argue the best bullpen arm that the Orioles have, along with being the greatest center fielder, uh, tied with Cedric Mullins, in my opinion. So this is a massive signing for the Orioles. I would have (laughs) given him a Mike Trout-esque contract, but uh, got him on the cheap, got the hometown discount. Hometown discount, Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's huge for the Orioles to bring bring Stevie Wilkerson back. I think the best closer may be in all of baseball.
0: He is the only position player still to have a, a save in a game. And, of course, that was against the Angels last year. Uh, and I think I can say this on air, Dr. Poo Poo, which is his nickname, uh, which is the most ridiculous nickname, I, I think, easily in baseball. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for the guy that he's coming back because it was really unfortunate. Of course, the injury he sustained was a wrist injury, so I feel his pain there. Uh, Back during the exhibition portion of the season, the three exhibition games, he was making a spectacular diving grab um, and ended up uh, uh, hurting himself. And, you know, he was not terribly productive, obviously, at the plate in 2019 and 2018, but He's versatile. And the reason that we saw Pat Valleka so much this year is because Brandon Hyde did not have a Stevie Wilkerson to stick around the field and to use him in different places. So I think that he can only bring good things to the team. If he never, you know, if he only plays 25 games, you know Brandon Hyde is going to put him wherever he needs to be and is going to make some impactful uh, plays across the diamond in center field, in the infield. Um, and maybe even out of the bullpen. So, you know, he obviously he's not a move-the-needle type guy, but he is beloved in the clubhouse. He's a great guy to have around. Really fun. I think I've turned into a fan favorite during the 2019 season. Uh, make some spectacular plays, like maybe the best play of the entire 2019 season for the Orioles, and it was on the last day of the regular season, up against the wall or by the pesky pole at Fenway Park. Uh, <laughs> an absurd catch. An absurd catch and maybe one of the best plays of the season in 2019.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a really, really fun guy to watch. Like you said, he's great in the locker room, and he's not more than likely not going to be an everyday player. But like you said, if you need a plug-and-play kind of guy, Stevie Wilkerson can give you that, and he's going to give you solid defense. He's not amazing at the plate, but he'll, he'll get the job done, and I think he's an important piece to bring back if for nothing else, he can be kind of that glue guy where if something is falling off and you just don't have a position for that day, Stevie Wilkerson is probably going to be able to fill that role, whether it's in the field or on the mound.
0: I think, I I wonder if the Orioles, given, I mean, we'll see what the roster sizes look like next year. We still have no idea about that. We'll see what the Orioles do in terms of the prospects that they bring up. I don't know if, but I could see Pat Vileka and Stevie Wilkerson kind of competing for the final roster spot in a lot of ways because i i I think ramon urias probably has earned a spot maybe at this point as a as a utility guy but but it it may come down between wilkerson and and vileka for that final spot next year
1: yeah i wouldn't be surprised i think he's he's a fringe guy like you said he fills a pretty similar role to pat vileka vileka being more of a rotational infielder and wilkerson being more of a rotational outfielder so it'll kind of just be where do you have more depth could be that the Orioles have more depth in the outfield so maybe they lean Vileka but I think Wilkerson and Vileka are both probably on the fence in terms of the Orioles roster going into next year absolutely
0: all right well let's talk about uh, what I teased in the open and that would be teams that the Orioles should emulate and this World Series was fascinating for a lot of reasons Uh, I think from a a baseball perspective it was fascinating because you had two teams that were on the opposite side of the payroll you were two very different teams in a lot of ways one that was built heavily on the star power and a big budget and another team that was a, a group of guys that some of them were cast offs from other teams and a lot of them were in-house guys that they developed that nobody expected them to uh, but turned into good players, and they cobbled it together and made an incredible team that just came up short, and that would be the Rays. The Dodgers, of course, were built on the star power. The Orioles, I would think, if you're looking at the two teams in the World Series, before we get to some that we predict, I think they would probably fall somewhere in between these two teams. I, The Rays finished 28th in payroll. The Orioles, obviously, are like the 25th, market TV market in America they're on the lower end they have a competitive balance pick so they are on the lower end in terms of market size and a- available payroll but I think that they would be able to spend a little bit more money than the Rays so I don't think an Orioles Rays comparison is a perfect one to make
1: I don't think it's a perfect one to make but it's actually the first one that I did <laughs> end up making because I think roster construction wise the Orioles and Rays could be pretty similar In a few years, the Orioles, of course, in a few years being pretty similar to how the Rays look right now. They're built on the starting pitching, first and foremost, the Rays are, with Charlie Morton, Blake Snell, and Tyler Glass. Now, Those are their top three guys who got them really far throughout the playoffs. And in a few years, maybe we could see the Orioles, John Means, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall. That starting pitching is going to be what drives the Orioles, just like it's driving the Rays right now. And with so many pieces in the prospect field right now for the O's, that bullpen could look pretty similar to the Rays' bullpen right now. We know Tampa has a tendency to go with bullpen days because they have so many good arms in there. If there are some Oriole arms that don't quite make the starting rotation but are still good big league players, they could end up in the Orioles' bullpen, and then all of a sudden the guys who you thought were going to be starters could end up being solid bullpen pieces for the Orioles. So I think the pitching is what really makes those two teams similar, the potential pitching that the Orioles have and the pitching that the Rays have right now. And like you said, the Orioles will probably have a little bit bigger payroll than the Rays, so maybe they'll be able to go out and get a flashy free agent or two. But the Rays right now, like I think the Orioles will be, are built on their younger hitters that they really haven't had to pay a whole lot to yet. They actually just extended Brandon Lau, but they've also got guys like Austin Meadows and Randy Rosarena, who broke out at the end of this season. Understood. They're all younger guys who are in the middle of their lineup and are really leading the charge for them. And then with the Orioles in a few years, you could be seeing a similar thing with guys like Abby Rutschman, Heston Kerstad, Ryan Mountcastle, those younger hitters that you haven't had to extend to massive contracts yet and can still lead the charge offensively. So I think those two, with with leading and pitching and having the younger hitters, is what makes those two really similar. And then the Rays also have these kind of waves of prospects like the Orioles do. Right now they've got Brendan McKay up at the major league level. He's kind of a hybrid Starting pitcher DH type, but they've also got the number one prospect in baseball in Wander Franco, Vidal Bruhan, Xavier Edwards. They're still waiting on. So they have good prospects up right now, but they're still waiting on that second wave, just like the Orioles. They've got Ryan Mountcastle up right now, but they're still waiting on guys like Adley, Heston Kerstad, Gunnar Henderson. So I think the Rays, even though they have that smaller payroll, like you said, are still a pretty decent comparison for what the Orioles could look like in a few years.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see when those guys that you mentioned that are at the major league level, like a Rosarena, when they are due for an extension or a year or two away from free agency, are the Rays going to, one, have the money, and two, be willing to extend those guys? Because they may have to turn into somewhat of the Oakland A's, where... Um, once the guys become too expensive and are nearing the end of uh, their rookie contract or their rookie deal, they may have to part ways with those guys and go into a mini rebuild for a couple years because they might not be able to afford everybody. And I think that that's something that Orioles fans hope the team, the Orioles can avoid uh, is that when they get, when we're four or five years down the line, hopefully everything works out and the team has had some success on the field Guys are going to be start to be looking for long-term deals, whether it's Adley or Heston or Gunnar Henderson or whomever, or Ryan Mountcastle. The Orioles fans are going to hope that they have the money and are willing to extend those guys so that they don't have to trade them with a year left on their deal and they're still only 27 or 26 years old. They're hoping that they can be able to keep those guys in-house. Now, they're, they're not going to be the Astros, which... You know, the, is the team that's going to draw a lot of comparisons, of course, because of the way that Mike Elias has fashioned this rebuild after the Astros' rebuild. But the Astros are in a different stratosphere, pun intended, with in terms of money. You know, they are in, in the upper echelon of teams being able to spend. So they have been able to extend a lot of their guys and keep a lot of guys in-house. And when they need to, they can go out and get a Zach Greinke and take on his huge, massive salary, even if it's only going to be for a couple seasons. Um, so and they can go out and extend Justin Verlander if they need to. The Orioles probably are not going to be there, but I do think that they are going to be a little bit higher on the, the payroll scale than the Rays, but we'll see, because the Rays may, maybe this, this World Series run will end up leading to next year, hopefully, knock on wood, their fans in the stands. Hopefully, it'll lead to like a resurgence in terms of their fan base. Maybe they get a new ballpark, something like that, that can reinvigorate the fan base. They bring a little bit more cash flow in, and they're able to extend some guys. But at this point, I think Orioles fans hope that, they hope that everything up until this point will have gone similar to the Rays. It's just the money that they need to sign free agents and to keep their own guys in-house.
1: And I think the biggest thing with the money is just that it extends your window, right? Yeah. I mean, the Rays spent wisely with the free agents that they do have, like Charlie Morton. They didn't go break the bank for Charlie Morton, but he has still been a really consistently good pitcher yeah. for them. The problem that they're going to run into is when they have to extend the guys like Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now, Randy Rosarena, Austin Meadows. That's where they're going to run into trouble. But I think where the Rays and Orioles are similar as well, like I talked about, is those waves of prospects. So if you have a guy like Randy Rosarena that maybe you don't have the money to extend in a few years, if you're the Rays, you still have prospects coming up that can be close to replacing his production in the lineup with a guy like Wander Franco, Vidal Brujan, like I said. So you're hoping that those prospects that you keep calling up, are going to continue to replace the production of some of the guys that you maybe have to let go because you don't have the payroll to extend them.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, another team that I had, Brendan, was the Minnesota Twins, and this is not a perfect fit, but I picked them because they had four straight seasons of 90 or more losses from 2011 to 2015, which is what the Orioles are probably staring at because they are now, I mean, they're they're not going to have, they didn't have 90-plus losses in uh, 2020 obviously but the win percentage is going to be right there and of course that's that would make three seasons of kind of being you know non-competitive um, and potentially looking at a fourth for next season um, the twins were kind of uh, you know rebuilding for those four years but they didn't quite cash in on the draft picks that they were given they had first round picks they had you know they made good on byron buxton who was a first round pick jose barrios Uh, Mitch Garver, Eddie Rosario, those guys were all in-house draftees. But they missed on some picks as well. And uh, they made some solid international signings. Orioles are hoping to boost that international signing department. That's probably going to take a while. And it's unfortunate that they're kind of behind the eight ball there um, because we're probably not going to see the fruits of that for a little while. Uh, But they got, you know, Polanco. They got Kepler in those free agent signings. And then the trades were just okay. They got Jake Odorizzi in a trade, but other than that, they don't really make trades. So the Orioles are hoping to hit on those three things, which is drafting players, trading for players, and signing them via international free agency. Twins had kind of middling success with all those, those three categories, and then they filled in the gaps with a lot of free agent signings. Um, so the Orioles are hoping that they have fewer gaps to fill in with those free agent signings so that they have the more more money to spend on the guys that they have in-house.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting comparison, too, because on the surface, the teams look pretty different, and I think the Orioles will probably be built more on starting pitching than yeah. they will on hitting like the Twins are right now. But if you take the Orioles' first-round draft picks and just switch them from pitching to hitting, they're almost identical in terms of their rebuild strategy. Like you said, the Twins pretty much went hitter- every single first round, except for Jose Barrios. And he's really the only one in-house that has been a successful starting pitcher for them. The other ones they've had to acquire through free agency, through trades. And yes, the Orioles have gone hitter-hitter their last two first-round picks. But before that, it was a lot of starting pitching. So if the Orioles switch those picks from starting pitching to hitting, they probably are going to look a lot like the Twins look right now. It's the same strategy, just different execution in terms of who those first round draft picks actually are.
0: Exactly. All right. Do you have another team, the Orioles, Emmy emulate Brendan?
1: Yeah. So I have the obvious one next, and that's the Astros. It's kind of the low-hanging fruit in terms of comparisons for the Orioles. But, I mean, you have to make it because that's how Michael Elias is constructing this team at this point. It's not exactly the Astros of this year. I think it's more along the lines of the Astros a few years ago when guys like Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa were first getting called up. I think that's what the Orioles are realistically going to look like. It's when you had guys like Dallas Keuchel, who was still in the rotation, Jose Altuve, who had been brought up a while before that were kind of already the bedrock pieces on the team, like the Orioles have right now, and somebody like an Anthony Santander, guys that weren't high up on the prospect list, but are still solid foundational pieces. And then you brought up the guys like Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, and you made smart free agent signings that weren't breaking the bank like a Michael Brantley. So I think that's a pretty similar comparison there a few years ago, where you can sign the free agents that aren't going to completely kill you salary cap wise. And you still have those prospects to fill out around them where that comparison falls short is that the Orioles aren't going to go get a Justin Verlander or a yeah. Zach Greinke, like you said, but the Orioles still have the capability if they wanted to bring in somebody who would cost you around the same amount as a Michael Brantley or somebody like that, you can still fill the roster with those types of guys and have the prospects surrounding them to be the core pieces
0: yeah, I think it is, I mean, this is exactly there are a lot of similarities because there are intended to be a lot of similarities with the way that Michael Elias has done this. Um, and And you mentioned you know Jose Altuve being an international signing, guy that actually did not sign for a whole lot of money. But the idea is that you, you know, the more guys that you're able to sign, Via international free agency, the more you hit on. And I'm just worried that the Orioles are a little bit behind in that department. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the the, the similarities are striking um, between these teams. And in terms of the, the window, you mentioned the Astros being able to extend their window after, but the window that they struggled in, the rebuilding window, took about as long. It was, uh, th- I think, three straight seasons of 100 losses, which... Is what the if the 2020 had been a normal season, the Orioles wouldn't have had 100 losses, but they would have had 102 straight years and 90 some in this 2020 season at, at least. So it, it is very similar in terms of the the plot that that Michael is is drawing timeline wise as well.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like you said, the comparison is so obvious. And I think the other thing to note as well, even though the Orioles' pitching rotation more than likely isn't going to be the Justin Verlander's or Zach Greinke, I think it's fair to say that the Orioles will probably still be built on that starting pitching, but it'll just be the prospects that they call up rather than the big trades or free agent signings that they make.
0: Absolutely. Um, we are getting comments as well, by the way, because we are live on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. So if you're not watching, you should be watching. It's more than just a an audio audio experience. It's is a visual as well. You get to see our our uh, ugly faces. But uh, Jonathan Gonzalez said, the present-day Twins are built like the O's used to be in the mid-2010s. And, yeah, I think there's a comparison to be made there because those Orioles teams were built more on their hitting than they were on their pitching. And those Twins teams, as we know, have not experienced a whole lot of postseason success. Now, the Orioles did, of course, advance to the 2014 ALCS, but other than that, they did have some pretty good teams that fell short when it came to the postseason. The Twins are their own case, and they just literally can't even win a a postseason game, but I do see the way that the teams compare in terms of the mid-2010 Orioles and the current-day Twins.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and even though they are built a little differently right now, like you said, the Orioles did have that really strong lineup for a while, but a little more playoff success than yep. Minnesota has so far.
0: Exactly. All right. Another team that I had, Brendan, that I could see, and not a perfect comparison, but one that is similar White Sox, Chicago White Sox, not the Cubs, because I, I have um, made that mistake before, as we know. Uh, they were under 500 for seven straight seasons. The Orioles are hoping that is not the case, that they do not have to be an, a below 500 team for that long, because that might end up you know, just changing their timeline drastically. Um, but they, uh, and they eventually bottomed out in 2018 and 2019 when they had 95 and then hundred losses. Um, but what they did during that time is they built up their farm system and they made some smart drafts, draft picks, Carlos Rodon, Tim Anderson. Um, they missed on some guys, Carson Fulmer, former Oriole, as we know, uh, and a guy named Keon Barnum, like some first round picks that they really whiffed on during those seven straight seasons of uh, below 500 ball, but they did make some good international signings. Jose Abreu, Luis Robert were some smart guys, obviously, who have worked out pretty well so far. Uh, And then trades, they made some very smart trades during that time period. Uh, They got Eloy Jimenez in the Jose Quintana trade. Uh, They got Lucas Giolito, of course, in the Adam Eaton trade. And this White Sox team is, I think, pretty well balanced in terms of the um, pitching and the hitting because they have some guys in that rotation that are absolute studs who are still pretty young and Giolito leads the bunch, but they also have some uh, a Tim Anderson uh, in that and they have what Nick Madrigal, who's the young second baseman. So they do have some hitters in that lineup as well. I think they're pretty well balanced.
1: Yeah, and I have an example later of trades not going well in a team that's rebuilding, but mm-hmm. the White Sox pretty much hit on all of those trades where they were getting prospects back. Think back, to the Chris Sale trade where they got Moncada from the Red Sox. Yeah. So they don't really have a lot of massive contracts on that team right now. They're also waiting on prospects like Nick Madrigal, who can come up and be their everyday second baseman. who will probably be their opening day second baseman next season. So they still have room to sign guys if they wanted to. They went out and signed Grandal last year, and I think he's really the only one that they signed to a huge contract. They, they now, shot they have a for little the bit stars.
0: Yeah, they went for Manny, but uh, ultimately didn't. Right. that didn't go, <laughs> work out.
1: Right. So they still have that flexibility, and that flexibility comes from being able to develop your younger guys, being able to, if you're not in a position to win, trade your good veterans for younger prospects that are now putting you in a position to win. It was a really good rebuild strategy, And they have now opened themselves up to the possibility of, okay, maybe they're one big free agent signing away from really making a push.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and they clearly sense that because they fired their manager in order to go after somebody they said has recent championship experience. I wonder who comes to mind when they said that. Uh, But yeah, I I see some similarities with the White Sox. All right, give me another team, Brendan.
1: Yeah, so we're kind of beating a dead horse at this point, but. The teams that we're looking at are teams that have good prospects and have developed them well and have now put them in a position to win games. So the next team I have is the Padres. Again, they have more space to sign big players. Obviously, they signed Manny Machado. They had signed Eric Hosmer previously as well. So they have that cap space. But their team is also led by the younger guys that came up through their system and they've developed Fernando Tatis Jr. They got in the James Shields trade that is now infamous. Chris Paddock, Denilson Lament, Jake Cronenworth. Those are the guys who are leading the team. And then you have the smart free agent signings like a Manny Machado and an Eric Cosmer. It's all about if you, have not a ton, if you don't have a ton of money, you have to make smarter decisions. And I think the Orioles are just going to be forced to make smarter free agent decisions than a team like the Padres, who has more cap room to sign somebody like a Manny Machado. But the common theme between the two is that the younger prospects are leading the way. And if those prospects are solid, then you're contending. If you sign some good free agents along the way, the Padres have more money to do so, but the concept remains the same.
0: Yeah. And the Padres have done a very good job of finding their identity already, which they have found through Tatis and Machado and a lot of these young guys. And, you know, it it is what makes them one of the more exciting teams in all of baseball is the fact that they play fun, they play hard, they're never out of games, um, and they're just a very exciting, fun team to watch. Um, And they built that pretty quickly. And you could look at the Manny Machado deal and say maybe they made that deal probably a year earlier than they probably should have because they ended up paying a lot for Manny for a year that was wasted last year. Um, before they ended up being good they they kind of paid him before they got good which is a, a dangerous thing to do because you can we're going to talk about some teams where it didn't work out and they paid somebody for a huge deal hoping that the team on the field was going to get better and it didn't work out it did work out for the Padres because they may have had to pay for a wasted year for Manny Machado but he kind of set the groundwork for Fernando Tatis Jr. to come up learn from him uh, in a lot of ways, and those two now share the left side of the infield very happily. So I think that there are a ton of similarities with these two teams. Uh, the the trades that they made, you mentioned just a couple of them. Um, you know, the, the Dansby-Swanson-Shelby-Miller trade, uh, which was made, the Max Freed-Justin uh, Upton trade, or sorry, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong team here. The uh, Will Myers-Tatis, uh, you mentioned, Cronenworth was also acquired via trade, who was... Uh, a candidate for Rookie of the Year as well, um, Denelson Lamette, who was a international signing. Um, and, and then another guy also, you mentioned the the we talked about the Manny Machado trade, or Manny Machado signing, rather. Eric Hosmer was probably the wrong step, the wrong move that they made uh, during this because they signed him, what, a year or two before Manny Machado was signed And that was when they were assuming that they were going to be good in like 2018 and 19. And those teams were terrible. And Eric Hosmer was not the kind of guy that you want to go out and sign. And it seemed like a move that was pressured more from the ownership down to the front office than it was a front office led decision.
1: Yeah. And Hosmer struggled his first two years with the Padres. They signed him for the 2018 season. Really wasn't that great in 2018. Really wasn't that great in 2019. Maybe he just needed a better team around him. I'm not really sure, but he picked it up this year, hit 290 with nine homers. So he was pretty much what the Padres expected him to be when they initially signed him. But I think it's important, too, that even though that signing may not have looked good for the 2018 and 2019 seasons, if Eric Hosmer is going to help you over his final two or three years of that contract when... San Diego is actually good in making a push, and I think that will happen over the next two or three years. You'll take the one year of Manny Machado that wasn't great and you weren't winning a lot of games. You'll take the two years of Eric Hosmer that wasn't great and you weren't winning a lot of games if it gives you two or three years of putting yourself in a prime position to contend in the National League. So even though the front end of that deal didn't look great, that's more of a case, I think, of looking ahead to the future and saying, okay, if he's still here and is still giving us good baseball when our prospects come up and develop well, wasting a little bit of money in the first few years of that contract will have been worth it if the Padres win a World Series over the next few years with a guy like Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer helping that out and being a big part of that team.
0: I will say yes, but so long as the money that you sort of wasted, he didn't waste, but the wasted years for Manny Machado and Eric Cosmer don't then prevent you from re-signing your own guys.
1: Yes, agreed.
0: Um, and the other thing, I think they, the reason that they made those deals and the reason you see teams do this, where they sign a guy before they're actually good, uh, because they assume that they're going to be good, is they really didn't... They may have wasted a year of Manny Machado for, t- th- what, $30 million a year, but they are hoping not to waste a prime year of Fernando Tatis Jr. while he's getting paid pre-arbitration money so they are wasting the money on somebody else in a way and they're hoping they're not ultimately wasting it they're hoping they're good when they sign him but because they know that they're going to have to pay tatis a ton of money a ton of money down the line so might as well go in go all in now when they don't have to pay him a whole lot it's like in the nfl you have a quarterback on his rookie deal that can prevent you for if he signs an extension and he's really good, that might prevent you from signing some other guys, and then your window might have closed because you all of a sudden have a ton of money tied up. They're hoping that they can cash in now. They're, they're hoping to win the World Series now while Fernando Tatis is getting paid $2 million, then having to wait until Fernando Tatis is 28 years old and he's on his second contract and he's making a ton of money because that might prevent you from signing other guys.
1: Right. And I, I think it's important to clarify too when we say waste, having a year of Manny Machado when he is good and playing well, that's not a waste. We're saying waste in terms of, okay, Manny Machado is playing well, but the rest of the team team isn't really there yet. So that's essentially wasting a year of Manny Machado because while he is still really good and you are paying him a lot of money, the team just isn't doing great. So at that point, having Manny Machado doesn't really mean too much. So we're not saying waste in terms of, He's a waste of a contract. He shouldn't be on the team. It's just you're kind of sticking him on a team that isn't really good yet. And you are really, really hoping and really, really banking on the fact that those prospects are going to be going to come up and going to play well very soon.
0: Yeah, you're hoping to maximize everybody's good years all at the same time. And it's incredibly difficult to do. And that's why we're going to see a lot of bad teams. But one more team I want to talk about that is good. I see a ton of similarities with the Atlanta Braves, a team that really hit on pretty much all phases of of team building, which is drafting well, uh, making great trades, making great international signings, but the caveat that they did end up getting in trouble for their international signings because they ended up spending too much and and promising guys way too much money than they were allowed to do. And it kind of stinks for everybody else that they were able to get all these guys, and now they're paying the price for it, but those guys are already on the team. They, they already have... Uh, Acuna they already have Albies who were signed in those classes that were way overspent Um, and you can't take them off the team but even though the the Braves can't make free you know signings in the international free agents market now doesn't matter because those guys are already on the team but they did very well in that department and obviously the Orioles will not be breaking rules but we hope that they make smart decisions in the international free agent market I mentioned those two guys uh, internationally but trades that the one that I hinted at earlier incorrectly, Dansby Swanson, Shelby Miller trade, the max free, Justin Upton trade. We're not going to talk about the Tommy Malone trade, of course, for the Atlanta Braves. Um, but you know, they, they made s- smart moves and drafting Austin Riley, Ian Anderson, uh, Kyle, Wright. You know, they had these top, top draft picks because they really bottomed out at a time when they, they needed to. Um, they had three straight seasons of 90 plus losses, um, and then all of a sudden they flipped the script. They had 90 wins in 2018, and that's what the Orioles are hoping to do. Because they're bottoming out so hard now, and they're not just halfway doing it and slowly doing it and doing, you know, you have 85 losses, then you have 91 season. No, they are hardcore bottoming, at, bottoming out because you get high draft picks, and then eventually you're hoping that you can flip that script really quickly. So that's the simil- those are the similarities I see between the Orioles and the Braves.
1: Yeah, so first and foremost, I think for the Braves, I think pretty much everyone would agree that the punishment is pretty well worth the crime there, considering you get Acuna and Albies out of it. Yeah, what what
0: does that say about the punishment, that it is not not a good punishment to have at that point? Right, I mean, I
1: think... You know, I think the Astros would probably say the same. Like, yeah, we got punished, but we won a World Series. And the Braves' perspective, yes, we got punished, but now we have Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Alves, so who cares? You know, like it's, it's that kind of scenario. But I think the Braves, another important thing to note there is that they can be an example of spending your money wisely around the prospects that you're calling up, around those international signings. Freddie Freeman is a big contract. Freddie Freeman is very well well worth that big contract. Marcelo Zuna was a big free agent signing. He was a very good free agent signing. So they're not going out and spending an absolute ton of money, but the money that they are spending, extending the guys that they already have, going out and signing free agents, they're spending that money very, very well. And they also paid Ronald Acuna way before he should have been able to meet his market value They are paying him way less than he should be getting paid. I think he's, what, a 10-year, $80 million deal, something like
0: that. I I don't know if it's 10 years, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's like a- It's something crazy. Yeah. It it, it is below market value.
1: Yes. So they are paying him way less than he should be. Uh, Sorry, yeah, it's an eight-year, $100 million deal. Yeah. So I got the, the years and the numbers <laughs> yeah. switched there. But even an eight-year, $100 million deal, that's ridiculous for Ronald Acuna, a guy yes. who could probably be making $350 million on the open market. So they re-signed the guys that they needed to re-sign, and they re-signed them before they probably needed to get re-signed to make sure that they could get the value for them that they wanted. And I think that's a good blueprint to follow if you're the Orioles. Now, a bad blueprint to follow if you're the Orioles in terms of spending money the wrong ways, Yep. the New York Mets. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I know it's too easy of a joke to say, okay, we're doing a podcast segment on teams that the Orioles don't want to turn into. What's the first team that comes to mind, the New York Mets? It's too easy. It was right there. But it's actually crazy to think that the Mets have developed their own guys really, really well to the point where they should be a contending team if they had spent their money wisely. They traded for Noah Syndergaard in that R.A. Dickey trade, which was a fantastic trade for the Mets. The guys that the Mets have drafted and called up, Jacob DeGrom, Pete Alonso, Dominic Smith, Jeff McNeil, Brandon Nimmo, Jared Kalanick, who got traded, I'll get to that, and Seth Lugo. If those are the guys that you're drafting, that's really good. Oh, and Michael Conforto as well. So they have all of those guys that they drafted and called up pretty much all hits because those are all really good major league players. Yeah. Now, where the Mets fell off is that they made bad trades and they have spent their money very poorly. The first bad trade, they moved Jared Kalanick, who was their maybe not most promising prospect, but he was up there probably in their top two, three prospects at the time. They trade him for Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano, those two massive contracts who have not helped the New York Mets win baseball games. And in the process, they give up one of their best prospects who is now one of the best prospects in all of baseball. And then they make other really bad signings as well, like a Rick Porcello who is just not going to help you. Why are you spending your money there? And even then, they just have so much money tied up in these guys, like Ioannis Cespedes as well, with his big contract, that you can't afford to make all of those horrendous signings while you are having the prospects that you called up play really good at good baseball at the major league level. That is about the worst-case scenario for the Mets. They had everything in place. It was going perfectly all of those guys that they called up played good baseball and then they spent the money in the wrong places and now they're stuck yeah. because they can't go anywhere because they're tied down with those contracts and they are now wasting a lot of the guys that they have called up who should be the core pieces of a nationally contending team and are just kind of sitting there wasting their years on their rookie contracts waiting to get those huge extensions yeah, because real, you've wasted their prime years.
0: Real quick, one more note about the Braves before I just lay into the Mets. Uh, yes. that, that rotation of Max Freed, Kyle Wright, Ian Anderson, Mike Soroka, all those guys are 26 or younger, which I could very much see for the Orioles. And also Freddie Freeman making it from the old good uh, Braves team to the new good Braves team. Could that be Trey Mancini, first baseman? The veteran yeah, guy on a I team that's it. pretty young? If he can make it all the way to the other side, so a lot of similarities there. All right, the, the yeah. Mets are a mess. The Mets are their they are an own their own th- case. It, it's like the Jets in football; they are their own case, or the Knicks, like they have they are given a lot of golden opportunities. And I think what what makes it probably so frustrating for Mets fans is that it, it's not like they're abysmal every year. They have glimmers of hope, and then they it is stolen away from them. Because they, those, you mentioned some of the names that are on that roster that are still younger than 30, that are still very good players. And those guys are most likely going to be wasted. Now, we'll see what the new ownership does. I think they still have to approve the new ownership. And apparently, he's willing to come in and start spending money. So maybe he's able to spend his way out of it. But just given the history of the New York Mets, that is probably unlikely. Uh, but it is... It is exactly what you don't want to do if you're the Orioles you don't want to make some panic moves like Brody Van Wagenen did and make that move for Robinson Cano nobody is forcing you to make these moves no you know if if your team is on the cusp of a world series and you need to make a win now move I get it the Mets were not on the cusp of a world series they were a middling team that had not made the playoffs or had just barely made the playoffs in the previous year so you you don't need to make those moves um, and especially, you know, you, it's one thing if you make a move where you sign a free agent and he turns out to be a bust. That's bad on its own. It's a whole nother deal when you trade for a guy like Robinson Cano, who granted was fine in 2020, but not only do you have to take on his massive salary, but you had to give up young players just to get him. So those are all examples of ways in which you can totally shut your window way faster than it needs to be shot.
1: Yeah, Robinson Cano is not putting you over the top. No. He's just he's just not. Listen, Robinson Cano was like my favorite player growing up. Right now, he is not putting you over the top. They traded for and a 36 Edwin Diaz, Right. And Edwin Diaz had two good seasons before the Mets traded for him and basically gave up what – basically, they were looking at Edwin Diaz and thinking that he must have been the best – reliever in baseball, because that's essentially what you gave up to get Edwin Diaz and the massive contract of Robinson Cano to add to some of the contracts that you already have. And if you don't need anything else to look at the epitome of the New York Mets, it is Jacob deGrom, who is consistently excellent and is winning Cy Young's with getting eight, nine wins on the season, because he is just sitting there. And the Mets are wasting him year after year. Who He will probably go down as one of the better pitchers in baseball history, and he is just sitting there not winning games.
0: I'm going to keep it in the NL East for another team that you don't want to be, and that is the Philadelphia Phillies, because they are a team that did not draft well, did not make smart international signings, did not make smart trades. They bottomed out hard. They were a 100-loss team, a 90-plus lost team they had five straight seasons of 89 or more losses so you'd think the fruits of that would be some winning and they have not done that because they did not draft well during that time period so when you get to 2020 after bottoming out three or four years ago and it turns out mickey moniac is your number one overall pick you're not going to be good because you you can make all the trades all the win now for signings you can sign bryce harper you can trade for gene segura but the core of the team isn't good enough for you to win. And that's what the Orioles are trying to hope to avoid. They are hoping that you you can't rush this thing, and that's what the the Phillies did. The Orioles had a a better-than-expected 2020 season. Mike Elias is not going to rush this rebuild and say, all right, let's start trading away some of the guys in this system, or let's start going out and signing guys to $330 million contracts, because we assume that they're, they're going to be better than they are yet. You have to see it on the field first, and you have to see what you have in a lot of these guys before you do that, because you have to make sure that these guys are the core guys that you can build around. And if they're not, you need to go out and acquire more guys via trade and get those young guys to build through the system. Because what the Phillies did is they shortened their window massively by signing 26-, 27-year-old Bryce Harper, trading for Real Muto, who's going to end up walking, Getting Gene Segura, who's on the wrong side of thirty, even Didi Gregorius, smart signing, good is going to be. All those guys were good for two, one or two years, but the core of the team wasn't good enough for them to win. So they just put icing on a, a moldy cake. I believe that's the term you gave for them, Brendan.
1: Yeah, uh, that was my uh, my roommate, who's a big Phillies fan, gave them that uh, that coinage. Out, shout out to Andrew Goldberg, who said uh, they put icing on a moldy cake. Yeah. and you gave away the secret right there, Paul. It's a win now move. Yeah. All of it's those moves. It's in the win name. Move. Yeah. It's in the name. If you are not in a position to win now, why are you making do it. Yeah. win now moves? Exactly. That's it. It's in the name. Exactly. Y- you don't have to go out and make these huge splashes if you are not in a position to win. We talked about the Padres and how they maybe signed Manny Machado a year or two early but they're in a win now mode a year down the line because they know that the team is in place. If you're the Phillies, your team is not going to be there a year or two down the line. You don't have the prospects for it. You don't have the core team for it. They just tried to build one out of nowhere and they made win now moves for a team that was not built to win now.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You can't do that. You can't do
0: that. And now they're in a horrible position where they've too much money on the payroll. The guys are too old and they probably have to do a total rebuild all over again because they don't have the young guys to come up and replace the older guys. So just just a disaster there. And that's what the Orioles, they're they're making all the right moves to not do that. Another team that actually falls into this category real quick, Colorado Rockies. I think we're a team that bottomed out six straight losing seasons from 2011 to 2016, bottomed out with 96 and 94 losses in back-to-back seasons in 14 to 15. But during that time they did not draft well enough and you talk about wasted players nolan arenado is a wasted player right now because he is putting up incredible numbers every single season Uh, trevor story is another guy at shortstop putting up incredible numbers and they have good players on that team but not enough good players to put them over the top so what they are doing is, is is treading water at this point and they have players who whose windows need to be maximized before they eventually walk in free agency and they are not doing it
1: Right. And I think the Rockies are a little bit of a different example, too, because they really haven't hit on a lot of their prospects either. You talk about a guy like Brendan Rodgers, who was a top five prospect in all of baseball, and he still has time to develop. Absolutely. But the last few years were kind of the years that you thought Rodgers was going to come up and start to succeed at the MLB level. And he really hasn't done that. Trevor Story has been a completely different story. No pun intended. Actually, pun absolutely intended. He's been really good. But that's not enough. You can't just have one really good player to go along with a veteran guy like Arenado and expect that you're going to make a push somewhere. They haven't really spent their money well, and the prospects that they thought were going to pan out have not really panned out. But at least they have some guys at the major league level as opposed to the final team that I have for the team that the Orioles do not want to be, and that's the Detroit Tigers. I think these two teams are pretty similar surface level in terms of where where they are looking to be over the next few years. They are both in the middle of their rebuild. The Tigers, I think, are a little bit behind the O's with their top picks right now. Obviously, they have the prospects. They have guys like Casey Mize, Spencer Torkelson, Matt Manning, Riley Green. Those are four that are going to come up to the major league level and be really good. They're four of the better prospects in all of baseball. But that's not the problem I see with the Tigers right now. The problem that I see with the Tigers right now is that they don't have any talent at the major league level. They just don't. I mean, there's really nobody on that Tigers team right now that you can look at and say, okay, along with the Casey Mises and the Spencer Torkelsons, who are we going to build this team around? You have to find some of those diamonds in the rough, like the Orioles have done. with an Anthony Santander, like a Trey Mancini that has stuck around. Guys like that are crucial, and you've got to keep some of those guys around if you're the Orioles, or else you could turn into the Detroit Tigers, who have a lot of these prospects who are going to be really promising players, but they just don't have the pieces at the major league level to have a decent enough core there to add those star players too. Because right now, if you're the Tigers, you need to go out and make trades. You need to go out and sign free agents because there's really nobody at the major league level that you can establish that core with with those prospects that come up.
0: Yeah, I think the Orioles, we are going to see some, as we've talked about, we're going to see the fruits of this rebuild, the very beginning of it in 2021, because we're going to get to see a full season of, Ryan Mountcastle probably going to get to see Michael Bauman, Zach Lowther. Uh, We're going to see Keegan and Dean Kramer. We're not going to see that with the Detroit Tigers. They, you know, they are still further away. I think you said than than the Orioles are at this point. And they're hoping that they, by the time Torkelson makes his debut and is good that they have enough guys around it. But at this point, they're probably behind the eight ball there.
1: Right. Yeah, I would agree. And I think Torkelson is going to be great. Casey Mize is going to be great, like I said, but that's not enough. You need other guys at the major league level who are already there, already established a little bit and are playing good baseball because it's kind of it's an interesting comparison with the Phillies, too, because the Phillies brought in a bunch of free agents to try to kind of make a team out of nothing. And the Tigers look like, at least if they don't go out and make some trades and make some free agent signings that they're kind of going to be making a team out of nothing with these prospects. And I just don't really think you can do that. I think it needs to be a combination of the two. You've got to have some solid pieces at the major league level already to go along with the studs that are going to come up through that prospect list. And the studs might be there, but those guys at the major league level certainly are not right now for the tigers.
0: Other than Miguel Cabrera, how many tigers do you think the average baseball fan could name who are at the major league level?
1: That's a tough question. I mean, I think if you're an Orioles fan, you could probably name Jonathan Scope, who is on that team right now, but will probably be leaving in free agency. (laughs) So, I don't know. I mean, Matthew Boyd? Like, that's not really a household name. No. So, It's
0: an understatement. uh,
1: Yeah. I, I, I don't know, honestly. I think probably Miguel Cabrera, and I think the response to... Miguel Cabrera would probably be he's still playing yeah (laughs) so
0: I think he's still getting paid so he's still playing (laughs) maybe one yeah
1: maybe one
0: yeah yikes all right well that just about does it for the teams that the Orioles should and should not emulate of course they can carve their own path and figure out a way to navigate this rebuild and get themselves back into a good spot and they are well on their way We have uh, we have covered that in previous podcasts, and we will continue to cover that in future podcasts. Brendan, thanks so much for doing this fun exercise and uh, sharing your thoughts on the Mass and All Access podcast. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Thanks, Paul.
0: So, the Mass and All Access podcast. By the way, if you don't watch it, you can on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and of course, subscribe. Please, please rate, review all that good stuff as well on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can get the Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks to Bobby Blanco for producing this one as well. I'm Paul Mancano. He was Brendan Mortensen. Thanks so much for listening.